Have you tried Music to Code By yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, what can I say, man? How are you? I'm all right. You know, it, this has been the year that the dog is starting to fade. Yeah, he's old. He's 12 years old now. And, uh, you know, stuff's starting to break. He doesn't see and hear as well anymore. And I think I'm going to really be torn up when that dog goes. Yeah, you're very attached to him. Yeah, I think he's attached to me. Where it works both ways. I'm just amazed he hasn't been killed by a bear. That's the thing. Right. right? I <laughs> I figure he would have gone down fighting for sure, but he he just doesn't see him anymore. So little dog, big mouth, and big you know what's. Well, I think he's part Klingon. Like <laughs> today's a good day to die. He just does not care and goes in. I think it was that, Sitting uh, Bull that said that first, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. So it's just uh, tending to him now as things start to break down and going, ah, dude, this is tough. I've been having a good time writing code, man. Yeah. I have. I've been head down writing a writing an app that I talked a little bit about last week. Still nothing to announce yet, but man, it's going to be amazing. Cool. Yeah. Keep listening. All right. Let's, uh, <laughs> I know it's crazy. Let's roll the music for Better Know Framework. Awesome. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, taking a look at what's new in cognitive services, and you know what this is, right? Microsoft Azure Cognitive Services. They put all these great APIs in the cloud that you can call and and, uh, do all sorts of stuff with, not the least of which is vision. They have a whole bunch of computer vision APIs, and one of them is called Content Moderator. Hmm. It doesn't necessarily sound It's like it's about vision. Yeah, it's really about recognizing, um, you know, obscene or not appropriate things in text and images. Okay. But they've gone a step further and they've made these human review tools. So, it's a whole system, right? So, they do image moderation, which, uh, and I'm just reading off the site here, enhance your ability Mm -hmm. to detect potentially offensive or unwanted images through machine learning based classifiers, custom blacklists, and optical character recognition. Nice. Text moderation helps you detect potential profanity in more than 100 languages and match text against your custom list automatically. And Content Moderator also checks for possible personally identifiable information, which is interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's not profanity, but, you know, hey, if somebody types their serial number. Right. 
or, or a social security number, you know, you don't want that going out. You want to protect them. Um, video moderation. It enables the scoring of potential adult content in videos. Video moderation currently deployed in preview on Azure Media Services, as, as we mm-hmm. say this. And then here's the other thing that, that I mentioned, the human review tool. Humans can effectively augment machine learning models in situations where the prediction confidence warrants assistance or when decisions must be tempered with real-world context. Nice. So you get all of this in one package. It's a lot more than just a cognitive tool. It's a service. Yeah, and I like that idea that we're not presuming that the the AI stuff is going to get it all perfect, but at least flag things for a human to assess, you know, and and then you get into situations like, you know, you're running a, a site about breastfeeding, and right. so odds are they're, the images might get flagged that are like, no, that's perfectly appropriate for my site. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, that, I, I think that's an interesting line. There's a huge debate going on around this sort of thing in, in YouTube right now. Like, yeah. shouldn't we show the horrors of the war going on in Syria, right. even though that would be flagged content? Yeah. So, yeah, I like this putting it all together and recognizing people still need to be in the loop. Agreed. Well, I'm just more and more impressed with what Microsoft is doing with cognitive services, and I got to keep an eye on it. That's why every once in a while I'm going to come back to them and see what's new. For sure. Nice one. Yep. So who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1464, the one we did with Josh Lane when we were at NDC in Oslo mm-hmm. talking about Cosmos DB. Yeah. And got a comment here from Kartha Kenyan, and I hope I got your name right, sir, who says, as usual, .NET rocks, rocks. <laughs> Thanks, Josh, for your valuable information about Cosmos DB, not Document DB. As you talked about the pricing of Document DB in quarters on usage, which is better than the documentation that's actually available right now, mm-hmm. one piece of information that's not properly stated in the document is that each and every collector, RU, is charged at a rate of a minimum of $25 a month. Mm. So if you're using four collectors, uh, which you might, you can expect to spend at least $100 monthly bill minimum. Yeah. And obviously, Carthaginian had been coming from Document D because he said earlier I had a Document DB and added four containers and had my Azure build bump up. So I switched over to table storage, which is a better solution for me for a NoSQL option because right. it was just key value pairs that he was storing. Yeah. So be careful when choosing Cosmos DB in regards to its cost because, as Josh mentioned, you need you should only select it if you need the high availability and geo replication features on a global scale. Right, and that's the feature of it, that it is that's so right. up and it's so fast. And you, yeah, guess what? You pay for that. And believe me, believe me, you know, four nodes for $100 minimum fee per month, you try and spend 100 bucks a month providing geo-replicated data around the world. At like, that that's, speed. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's very cheap, but it is much more expensive than just the data store of a single location app. Right. It's just, you know, it's only when you're going to need those features. Yep. Agreed. Uh, and Carthage Canyon went on to say, I still want Microsoft to give us a MongoDB kind of document DB where you can keep any number of documents and be charged for one DB as it is in SQL Azure, the sort of PaaS model. Because mm. Cosmos also had that Mongo interface, but I think it's the only thing that does. Huh. So right now, if you want to run MongoDB, you have to run it as a different kind of service or as an IaaS implementation. I don't think there's a standalone PaaS implementation for MongoDB through Azure yet. Yeah which I'm sure is something he was trying to get to. And it was like, oh, wait, it's all about the scalability and the geo replication and so forth mm-hmm. that, uh, mm-hmm. that 
gives you that additional cost of Cosmos DB. So uh, great insight there, Karth Canyon. Thank you so much for uh, your feedback and letting us know a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And send us a tweet. They get recycled so they go back out into the cosmos. <laughs> Such as it is. We are the stuff of stars. We are star stuff. <laughs> and so are your tweets uh, eventually. Well, okay, let's bring on Dan Rosanova. He is the product owner for Azure's messaging services, including event grid, hybrid connections, event hubs, and service bus. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. That's a big stack of responsibility you got there. Uh, it is. It's a, it's a whole team behind it, so it's not just me. So that must mean there are standards and similarities in the way that you interact with these things, maybe. Yeah, and actually one thing that, uh, especially with EventGrid's launch, uh, we've gotten a lot of questions, how do these things fit together? Um, sometimes I know it, it can look like uh, things are a little bit chaotic here in Azure, mm. but they're actually very carefully thought out specifically in these since they're all under a common sort of engineering and PM team. And, uh, and we're thinking about providing the right messaging services for different use cases, for different tasks you're trying to accomplish. So mm. uh, we, we work pretty hard to make sure that they don't overlap, even though sometimes the names uh, are a little confusing. Yeah. I'll admit. But well, you know. That's the way it goes, I guess. Let, let's get right to it. What is Azure Event Grid? So Event Grid is a new uh, eventing service that is built into the core of Azure that allows you to build reactive, uh, really pinned well to serverless uh, experiences mm -hmm. uh, on top of anything happening within Azure and even outside of Azure through your own uh, applications or other people's applications. Nice. Yeah, when we look at things like a queue or something like that, or a log like event hubs in the past, those are really a polling-based model. Someone sends something to a queue and you just keep asking the queue, hey, do you have anything? Do you have anything? Um, and this is really a different approach. It is is not meant to replace that. It's meant for scenarios where you want to do notification like you would in, I don't know, if you think about any sort of GUI application for sure. the last 20 years, right. you have delegates and event handlers and OnClick has an event handler and that's, mm -hmm. you know, you go, you go do something there. We're really bringing delegates to the cloud. Interesting. And as you say, not just in your app, but from different apps, which is nice. It's like maybe a big pub sub kind of thing. Yeah, it does give you pub sub. It's push. It's reliable. We retry if you fail. It's push only right now, actually. So you, we will push to you. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've done a good job in Azure of giving you serverless options so that you have basically, you can think about those as the event handler, like mm -hmm. functions or lodge gaps or, or even Azure container instances. Uh, but what we were missing up until this was the way to wire your, your delegates, really your, your event handlers to the events that you're interested in. And that's what the purpose that grid serves. So now I can write a, a serverless, like an Azure function and say, I only want this function to happen when such and such an app posts this particular message or something like that. Absolutely. Or when a blob is created in this storage account that ends with .jpg yeah. or, uh, you know, other things like that. So we give you prefix matching and suffix matching. And uh, that way, really, the onus moves from from the person creating 
the event, like the creating a blob, to to the subscriber being able to express their interest in different events. So we kind of turn it around backwards. Yeah, and that is sort of the missing sauce, wasn't it? In in the whole serverless thing on Azure, that this completes the the puzzle. Yeah, it really does. And uh, the the sort of impact we're making with it is pretty good. And and it's not just been missing in Azure; it's missing in every. Uh, cloud provider and yeah. uh, and we're we're pretty happy with it. I hate to even say this word out loud, but BizTalk, <laughs> <laughs> BizTalk for the cloud. Uh, you, you know, I wrote a book on BizTalk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's there's some heritage here. I am pulling up a link to the to your book on BizTalk. Yeah, we're gonna put that. I'll put it in the show notes. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, so uh, you know, I would say it's a little bit different, actually. Uh, I hope so. I, I would say um, if you looked at BizTalk, what it was is it was really like five things, right? You had a messaging engine, which is actually kind of similar to Service Bus. And then mm-hmm. you had an orchestration engine, which is, you know, the, the cloud analogy would be Lodge Caps. Um, and then you had adapters and uh, mapping, which would also kind of fall into sort of part of the Lodge Caps tool set. This really isn't that. Uh, their, BizTalk was uh, like a centrally located queue, basically. Uh, that's actually part of why you got high consistency, but you also got scale problems and cost yes. problems. Um, yeah. And so in event grid, it's really just like the, the eventing model in windows or in operating systems, or even like the browser Dom, because there aren't, there isn't order to events. Events can and will arrive out of order. Uh, they are happening in parallel. Mm. So if many uh, subscribers are listening to the same event, they're each getting a separate copy. They're not waiting in line for the same message to be delivered. So does this to some extent remove uh, the necessity to build a queue between uh, something that is pushing content and something that is receiving it? Uh, Yes, it does, especially for lower scale. Um, Once you take away the ordering requirement, Grid is made to scale at a a really amazing level. All right, So, so there are queues in the background. Um, no, they're not queues. It's really more of like a log. You could think of it oh, as, okay. uh, or a cascading series of logs. But, uh, when you think about doing things at really high scale, you do get to a point where something like a queue is useful because if you have a lot of traffic, you can use that queue to do distribution. Um, right. whereas with a, with a webhook, which is what we're giving you with grid today, the, really the only way to scale that to, I mean, a lot, when we're talking a lot, we mean tens or hundreds of thousands or millions a second. Right. Uh, is to have pretty sophisticated traffic load balancing. But also order, right? If you want a queue for things to, to happen in the right order, th- yeah, that's yeah. another reason, right? I imagine that if somebody, you know, if, if 10 blobs get uploaded all at the same time and your your uh, Azure function, let's say, kicks off 10 times all at the same time, who knows what order they're they're in. Exactly. And that's why it's a natural fit for serverless, because that's kind of the problem you're trying to solve. Uh, Whereas if you're trying to do some sort of workflow or convoy type scenario, which would be something more familiar to your BizTalk listeners, um, you would need order. And the only way to do that with Grid would be to stamp your own order. And now you're doing work that you really shouldn't be having to do. uh, And you should be using something like a queue. 
Well, and I, and I do think that the public today, the average consumer of, of resources now, is more comfortable with out-of-order, eventual consistency mindset. I blame Facebook for that, right? That it, <laughs> you post something and it shows up at some point in some order. It doesn't. I don't think anybody gets really wound up. If I fire off 10 blobs, the fact that they complete in any order, no big deal. I, I think you're right. Um, and it's very interesting. If you go, there's actually some really good... Uh, technical papers out by Google about order and mm-hmm. and why you usually don't need it when you think you do. Right. Um, and to me, it's kind of order is kind of like how databases are. You know, we spent so long putting things in databases that when we got to the cloud and had other options, you know, we just kind of felt everyone just kind of fell back at first on databases. And it took a while for people to realize, hey, the world isn't a perfect relational structure. Uh, sure. You need uh, how many that- times have I had this conversation where you sit with a DBA and go, why are you making third normal form? Yeah. Right. And, and you realize it's almost more of a compulsion. Right. Than the need. Because that's the way we've always done it. And, and we do it better than we've ever done it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I imagine that if you have a, a hybrid solution and by hybrid, I mean, multiple cloud providers all sort of working together because, you know, let's face it, that happens a lot. That I, I guess this is going to work best for events that happen within Azure, but what about uh, things that are outside? I mean, obviously, if I can send a blob from Amazon or from from Google or whatever, and I can get a hook on that, but I, and I guess I just answered my own question. You know, you 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 somehow get into the Azure system and then you hook whatever uh, events that uh, that are being accessed by outside uh yeah we are yeah. definitely looking at multi-cloud approach here so we don't think that uh that locking people into a specific cloud platform is the right strategy here uh both as a provider of events so when your storage blob is created you might want to tell a different cloud provider right uh, you might want to do something in heroku you know, right. uh, we think those are very good, valid scenarios. So we don't put restrictions on where your webhook or your handler runs. Or by contrast, if you upload a file to Google storage, you might want some sort of communication across to my uh, function in Azure so that it can go pick it up and move it into Azure or whatever it's going to do. Absolutely. Actually, one of the one of the things I'm waiting to see, which I think will be really fun, is when someone, probably one of our our MVPs or evangelists or someone probably outside of Microsoft uh, uses Google and Amazon services and ties them together with uh, EventGrid or, you know, two other mm. cloud providers that aren't Microsoft. Right. And we're just the glue in the background. That'd be cool. Well, and it, this gets back to the modern app concept too, right? That you could take existing software that you're struggling to scale or tr- struggling to add to and just added in more of an event-driven architecture to it to glue these different pieces together, write less code, do more gluing. For sure. And I think that's reflective of just how modern application design works, which is very different than, not to go back to BizTalk again, but very different than the sort of centrally orchestrated BizTalk model. Yeah. Well, you know, I know BizTalk from the EDI day, so I'm just old. (laughs) Because uh, it, it was a command and control mindset back then. You fed it into one place mm. and it pumped out results from another place. And that's just not the world we live in anymore. Well, it, it's the the place definition that's changed, right? <laughs> it could be anywhere. Well, um, Dan, can you hang on just for one second while we take time out here to uh, 
pay the bills. This episode of .NET Rocks is made possible in part by Windows on the Google Cloud Platform. You may not know this, but the Google Cloud Platform supports Windows Server 2008, 2012, and 2016. It also supports SQL Server versions 2012, 2014, and 2016 standard web and enterprise editions with high availability. You can deploy your ASP.NET Windows apps to Compute Engine or your ASP.NET Core apps to App Engine or Container Engine. That's Google's hosted Kubernetes environment. .NET and .NET Core libraries are there for all 200-plus Google.com and cloud services in NuGet, led by John Skeet of Stack Overflow fame. But what about Visual Studio integration? Oh, it's there. You can use Visual Studio to manage your GCP resources and deploy your existing apps. You get stack driver logging, error reporting, and tracing support for .NET and .NET Core. PowerShell commandlets for GCP, which run on Windows and Linux. And a great set of partners to bring your Windows and .NET workloads to GCP, including Capgemini, Nudesic, and Magenic. So go to gcp.netrocks.com and get your free trial today. All right, and we're back. You're listening to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell here with Dan Rosanova, and we're talking about Event Grid. Microsoft's new uh, reactive service for handling events system-wide. And I do mean system-wide. Yeah, we're talking about that hybrid approach. Um, this is something that uh, a lot of people do. I mean, let's face it. We use, we're in this world now where we're using more than one, uh, more than one cloud provider and uh, trying to hook them together. I was just saying on uh, Tuesday's show how spoiled we are and I am personally by all of the great documentation that Microsoft has and, you know, the existence of Channel 9, for example, uh, in just hand-holding and sample projects that are at the right level. And it would be really nice to see the other cloud providers uh, come up to that level of documentation. Maybe they just expect everybody on their platform to be, you know, to expect uh, uh, to spend days unraveling stuff. Or maybe they're just smarter than we are. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so should we break down Event Grid? What are what are the different pieces here when we're looking at where to insert Event Grid into an application? Sure. When when you look at Event Grid, really the events are the place to start. The events are a first class citizen in Azure, which is something that we've not had in the past. So when you think about what an event is. Uh, that event is really a JSON object that's telling you about some sort of state change, some sort of event within our platform. Uh, right. Th there is a very small set of outer sort of properties that we require, which are telling you who the event is from. That would we would call that the topic. That's the you could think about it like a topic would be your storage account, and it would be like the mm -hmm. ARM path for your storage account. And then there's a subject. And that would be, if you're listening to blob events, that would be the path within that storage account of the blob that created this event or that caused this event to happen. So a new blob arrives. Yes. And actually, you just said what the third thing is, which is the event type itself. So uh, okay. that would yeah. be Microsoft.Storage.BlobCreated. But it could also be modified or any other number of things. Yeah, yeah, whatever. It's up to the publisher. And then you get to... Uh, a a data object that is really defined by the individual publishers, by storage, by the resource manager, uh, by event hub, by other publishers to say what goes into this data object. So for storage, that's going to be 
information metadata about the specific blob that was created. For event hubs, that's going to be metadata about the specific capture or archive file that was created uh, that mm -hmm. you might want to go do some work on. So what goes into that payload uh, is actually dependent on you know those two things, the topic and the, uh, the event type. So that's really saying the publisher and the type of message it is. Uh, and then you are free to take whatever actions you want after that. If you're using something like Lodge Gaps or Functions, you're going to get some nice tooling and binding support that tells you, you know, that makes it easy to to not have to read that JSON. Not that that's that hard, but it'll just show up to you as, you know, .NET stuff, .NET classes. Right, as an event. Yeah, whereas uh, if you're just using Pure Webhook or using some other platform, you, you just have to read the JSON to see what it is. Yeah, so you're, take, you're taking away a certain amount of plumbing from us when you, we're dealing with subscribers that understand the uh, event already. Absolutely. And we do have a registry of schemas for all of the publishers. It's one of the things we make them do when they come on, the system publishers here in Azure. And so they give us the list of their event types and uh, of the schemas for those specific events. So the stuff that goes in that data field so that you know what to do with it when you receive those. Now, how many different events do we already know about? Because I can presume we can make our own, too. Yes. So we, uh, right now, it's probably in the dozens. Um, <laughs> it's, I'm trying to think of what's, what's public right now and what's not. Um, but it will be a lot. And then what we're trying to do right now uh, on our way to GA is use this same schema registry to allow you to use that for your custom topics. Right. A custom topic is rather than listening to storage, you can actually go create your own topics, which you'll get an FQDN for, and then you can just HTTP post to those and other people can subscribe to them. And now it's up to you to define what are the event types, what does the schema look like? Uh, you know, so uh, we're trying to make that registry that we currently have private uh, into a public registry. Um, nice. That is that you can add your own things to. I guess I should say our, our registry currently is public. It's just you can't add stuff to it yet. Okay. Yet. Yet. And that's what the last piece we're working on is to to make it so that when other people subscribe to your events, they can see what events are available and what they look like. So more, and I, I see just a library of third party apps being able to provide proper event grid events. Absolutely. And not just third-party apps. We're interested in other cloud providers. We're interested in, mm -hmm. in uh, ISVs and, and anyone who wants to, to play at this, at this table is welcome to. Wow. And I do see you could make uh, route custom events. Yeah, it works the same way. You get the, the topic is going to be the ARM path for your specific custom topic. Uh, the right. subject is whatever you decide to put in the subject field mm. and the event type you have control over as well. Nice. Yeah, I mean, in the end, it's it's a post, right? You just you're just poking at the HTTP handler. Yeah, our our quick start actually shows using custom topics with uh, the CLI and with curl. Nice. Cool. Yeah, you can pump anything you want into this, really. Absolutely. Yeah, we we are not trying to be prescriptive about what data goes in here or yeah. uh, or what you do with it. We want to we want to connect as much of the cloud as we can. That's very cool. How does this interact with the the rest of the things that you're talking about? I know I we got service bus and and how about event hubs? Yeah, so these are these are <laughs> it's unfortunate on the naming side um, that right. event hubs has the name it has. Um, the, really, event hubs is a log. It's a distributed log. It's like Kafka. So okay. um, it's really 
Kafka is a service you could think about it as. Uh, it works the exact same way. You're getting partitions in a log and you're getting things like order if you want it. Um, you're getting replay so that people can come up and read the exact same stream again and get the same results out right. of it. Um, so it's really a streaming log. Uh, whereas events are, are, you know, they're not replayable. They're kind of things that just happen right. and they're really more notification based. Right. So a lot of right. applications I could see using both. Um, and then the last thing I'd say with service bus, how that fits in is service bus is really for sort of business state transitions, uh, which is a fancy way of saying basically if money and material changes hands. Mm. Um, so that's where you're going to want a certain amount of logic and control built into the messaging platform mm. to really give you strong consistency, instantaneous consistency guarantees, uh, which is not as common as it used to be. Uh, the, the ecosystem of applications is growing a lot. So, you know, people don't need those things as much as they maybe think they do, sure. but you still do need them. So for instance, if I were transferring my retirement funds, I would really want that going through a, a highly consistent queuing product. Right. Eventual consistency not good enough for you? Is that what you're saying, Dan? No, it's not. <laughs> not for that. Not for not for that. Not for money. Now for everything else, like when I'm browsing funds in my retirement portfolio, you know, you probably want logs about that. Um, so that's a great candidate for event hubs. And then when I'm maybe looking at specific things and you want to hook in to let sales or, or marketing or someone else know, that's a great opportunity for eventing stuff. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it depends. There's some stuff that you want a, a good old-fashioned uh, two-phase commit on, and there's some stuff you, uh, it can afford to be more transient. It's recoverable. If something gets missed, it's not that big of a deal. You said that you do have sort of uh, redundancy or reach. I guess you said retry, like, you know, uh, guaranteed delivery in the event. So if the, you know, if the internet is down when an event gets uh, fired, it's going to keep try retrying right is there a policy involved in that there is and all of our all of our messaging stuff in azure is durable so we are always uh, persisting the the data before we do anything else and so when someone sends an event to event grid whether it's you on your custom topic or another azure service yeah. when we give them back their 200 okay we've triple replicated the data wow and then we start our process of doing the delivery um, and when we go make that delivery we're going to make the first initial push on that uh, webhook. And if you don't respond uh, quickly, uh, which I think is 60 seconds now, with a 200 OK or a 202, we are going to retry uh, after 10 seconds and then start an exponential retry that goes for uh, up to one hour uh, for 24 hours. Great. So we, we will retry, but now you, you know, now here's where order is going to go out the window, right? Because right. when retry comes, it's going to be all... Yeah. Yeah, but but it's durable. Now after 24 hours though, we will drop messages. We're we're looking at making a dead letter feature right. uh, before we GA. But that's a good policy. I think, you know, that's that's something that we would use as well in our software. Uh Richard? Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to ask our listeners to donate to the Carl Franklin Bad Humor Fund. <laughs> I'll tell you why. <laughs> I set up an Azure function to send me a text every time a listener turned off the podcast after hearing my jokes, and my Azure and Twilio bill jumped up over 50 grand a month. 
So <laughs> help a guy out, will you? Donate to the Carl Franklin Bad Humor Fund. It's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Dev Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid. Built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. And you can check it out and test it for free on GitHub. And learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Ryan Westerberg. Congratulations, Ryan. Golf clap for you, sir. And Ryan just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you got to sign up to win. And now we like to ask our guest, of course, Dan, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? You know, that's a really good question. Uh, the, the thing I would really like to buy would actually be very old technology. Um, mm. And that'd probably be a Roland TR-909 drum machine. Oh, wow. wow. You like that. Now, there's plenty of software versions of that, but you want the hardware. Yeah, you can't replace the original. You can, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. But so you like the the physical machine and in, in the sounds aren't good enough otherwise. Yep. Yeah. 1980s tech. Yeah. Classic sound though. That was a great time for drum machines. The 808, the 909. <laughs> so you're a MIDI guy. Uh, I'm not even sure if that one has MIDI. I think that's all CV. Right, but you must be a MIDI guy if you're if you're into the old stuff as well, though. Yeah, I have a lot of MIDI cables running around my garage. Cool. <laughs> Jeez, you old music guys. I think I wrote in VBNet in .NET 2.0 a library for doing low-level MIDI in .NET, and it's still out there somewhere. I think it's called Carl's MIDI Tools. I think it's somewhere, but uh, I'm looking that was up. a lot of fun. And I've <laughs> used it for things other than music, you know, like to trigger stuff hardware-wise from one computer to another when I didn't want to set up a network. It's kind of cool. Crazy. Yeah. Oh, I found the DNR TV about your .NET MIDI router. How's that? Yeah, that's, that's probably right there. Unless the, uh, unless the file is on an old server that I did not uh, move which is possible. Yep, but if anybody wants it, um, I have it. So just email me, Carl Franklin's net, and I'll send you a copy. Awesome. So what about the security side of uh, the whole event grid concept, uh, Dan? Yeah. So um, there are a few aspects of security that, that are in play at event grid. 
The first is when you're when you're actually subscribing to events. Uh, we actually benefit from uh, Event Grid is actually a ARM resource extension, so mm-hmm. that when you go to turn on events, you don't go to Event Grid. You go to the storage resource provider and say, I want to turn on these events for this storage account. Behind the scenes, the resource manager in Azure actually does all the magic to make this work. But you're you're backed against the storage account to look for specific permissions that, that determine whether or not you have the right to turn on events so okay. or to, to subscribe to events. So there's a, a first level of security through RBAC to say, do you have the privileges of subscribing to these events? Uh, and so that's kind of one piece of security there. Uh, and that works for whether there are system topics like storage or custom topics, it's the same thing. And then the other two pieces of security that take place, one is that if you're sending your own events to like a custom topic, we actually mm-hmm. uh, support both SAS and keys. So you can either put the key in the in an authorization header or you can make a, a SAS token with that key and put that in the authorization header, which is a more secure way to do it, but not, you know, it's a lot harder to do from curl. So we support right. both. Um, right. And then on the delivery side, we do actually, we, we almost went public without having uh, an enforcement mechanism to show that you owned the URL that you're posting your messages to. And then we realized we would have been giving the world the the probably largest uh, DDoS cannon uh, ever yeah, publicly made right. available. Um, so, that would be a pretty awesome DDoS t- tool. That'd be amazing. Uh, uh, yes, well, especially because you can subscribe many times to the same event source. Right. Here's a tip for you. Don't connect your uh, jokes to uh, a function, especially when people stop the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not a good idea. Can get quite expensive. Uh, that, that's what spending limits are for, right? Um, yes. And uh, so, on that side, you do have to actually prove ownership of the of the uh, URL that we're sending to. And the way this is done today is that when you actually create a subscription, we are going to go do an HTTP post. It's a specific mm-hmm. type of event that tells you that it's a validation event, and you have to. And there's a code in the body of that, and you have to return that code with the 200 OK. Uh, to to show us that you actually own that site. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and after that, we'll just let all the events flow, no problem. Um, uh, there's a second uh, registration mechanism we're turning on. Literally, I think it's rolling out right now, uh, which is uh, hyperlink based. It's kind of like a email registration sort of thing. Hmm. Like you'll right. get a link that you click in the payload to the post, and then once you click that, we consider it registered. Uh, so those are kind of the two most popular ways to do webhook security. Additionally, we encourage people to put a token or a key in their URL that they're uh, submitting to us to push mm-hmm, to. Mm-hmm. And that way we'll include that data on every push we make. Uh, so is a query string parameter so that you can, you know, you can pick whatever it is you're giving us the URL uh, so that you can tell that it's actually from us and it's, you know, what you think it is. So that's usually a, a best practice for, nice. for webhook security. Nice. Yeah, my initial thought was we should be using a- Azure API management for this, but I don't know if that actually makes sense. What do you think? Well, for the outbound stuff, that's you know a little harder. Um, right. Yeah, API management's a- a- you know it's a, the the nature of where HTTP is today, at least yeah. until two O comes out, is that it's all request response. Right. Yeah, so hopefully right. HTTP2 gives us more options, but today we are not there. 
to get to be able to because this is really about streaming, right? Mm. Being able to steadily stream events, and that's just not way the way you want to do this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, API management on the ingress side, like on sending events in, is definitely a, a very good idea and a very, right. very valid, yeah. valid thing. You could go decorate your specific APIs so that, well, one API call that's really important to you will actually generate an event that, that causes other things to happen instantly, even if that's outside of like the flow of your application. But plus having the authentication mechanism, having the controller around maximum rates, billing, yeah. like you, you don't want to invent any of that. Right. We've already got a mechanism for it. Yeah. So that that's super useful. So yeah, I can see on the ingress side, API management in front of it, but, but on the outbound side, it's got to be different. Yeah. I feel like we're talking about this handgun, you know, this got a lot of power here. <laughs> How do we know we're not going to shoot ourselves in the foot with it? Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, we've actually used that analogy ourselves. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, really the way we're going to prevent you from really, really hurting yourself bad uh, is that we actually throttle when we're pushing uh, at two different ways. One is that if you have a high enough error rate, so you're not 200 okaying our requests enough uh, percentage right. of the time, that we will stop. We will just back off and stop. Uh, and that will 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 basically start that exponential back off without you even failing. Um, the other is that if you're doing a very high rate of traffic and you have a low error rate, but you're doing a high rate of traffic, we will also start the exponential back off. Um, hmm. So we will stop you from probably taking down your site, but um, but I mean these are pretty high limits. So hmm. uh, you do have to be a little bit careful about how crazy you go with uh with your traffic there is there anything sort of built in either architecturally or technology wise that can help us manage state across uh events or is it really up to us to pass whatever context we need around yeah it, it's completely up to you we uh our design is made to be extremely resilient uh and and linearly scalable mm. and the only ways to do that are to abandon any concept of state right yeah and that's good that's good i just didn't know if there was any uh any guidance or uh you know general ideas around it uh yeah guidance wise there's some pretty good established patterns out there that people already use in the streaming world things like using your own sequence numbers um uh you know simple stuff like that not right. trying to rely on clocks because in distributed systems those are going to break yeah. um so kind of the the normal established messaging stuff sure yeah this is known science in the end there's still cues and subscriptions under the hood right, so right. You, there are patterns that are reliable here very good is there anything that we're missing here that uh, or any hidden gotchas in implementation that we should be aware of at this point Ah, you know what? There are two that you should be aware of at this point. One of them is transient and one of them is not. Currently, during the early part of our preview here, uh, we are actually going to start dropping events after only two hours. So okay. uh, until we GA sometime in the fall, we'll change that to, to be the 24 hours. And then the sure. other, other one is, um, and this one is by design, is that when you create a subscription, if you don't receive any traffic on it uh, after seven days, we're going to delete it. Oh, okay. And I got to think that once you start charging for this, I should be able to pay to set those knobs where I want. Yeah, we're looking at ways to make us not delete them. 
Um, but uh, right now, one of the things we're trying to do with the serverless world is a really transient sort of place. Yeah. And we want to be able to give people a way to have auto cleanup. Now, when you say delete them, do you mean spin them down, take them offline, or do you mean delete them like all my code's gone? Uh, well, it's just so it's not all it is, is the subscription that says send these types of events to this URL. Okay. And those will expire if they're not used and they'll go right. away. Got it. Now, I was reading somewhere that Bart Dismet was working on reactive extensions for service fabric, which seemed to correlate with this pretty closely. Hmm. Yeah, I think so. And that would actually be a great use for uh, custom topics. Um, yeah. And uh, for a way to we're, we're this <laughs> I work very closely with the service fabric team, actually. And uh, sure. Yes, there are two two places where reactive extensions are interesting in service fabric. One is within the service fabric application or cluster, and then the other is uh, between uh, applications and clusters. And mm -hmm. Grid is certainly more designed for the between uh, than within. Yeah, this seems like a, a, a entry level approach where you can sort of get gradually pregnant in, a, in an event, <laughs> in an event architecture. <laughs> I, I, the way I'm looking at this, I'm really comfortable with. I have an existing service app, and I want to do more eventing or some streaming sides to it, so I don't have to greenfield this. I could add it in, put some hooks in place, put put a few serverless functions in to support some of it. Like you could gradually get adopted into this model. Uh, absolutely, and actually, the the one really interesting way I've seen a customer use this, uh, who was in like a private hackathon preview we had was that they wanted to give people a way to build extensibility into their own cloud service that they that they sell but hmm. they didn't want to be running other people's code because right. they were they were doing that and it was causing them pain sure because um, it's like hey give me your dll or your python script or something and and i'll what just run wrong? in my yeah exactly um <laughs> and this is a great way to take applications that you have today and really make them extensible and uh, push the responsibility for that uh, runtime for that compute outside of you know outside of your responsibility to the person who's trying to do the customization. Right. Yeah. Let the, the person bringing in the customization run their code in their cloud instance. You're just providing a hook yeah. to be able to to jump across to it. Yep. Absolutely. No more than you'd want to run your own copy of uh, Salesforce inside of your 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 cloud account. You call the Salesforce. Who would do you don't that? Run it. Nobody does that, <laughs> but I see that I see the metaphor. So the idea that you could bring that kind of functionality to your app the same way that the big uh, SaaS offerings offer that kind of hooking, you could do that with Event Grid pretty easily and make it a, make it a feature of your your SaaS offering. Absolutely, very cool. Yeah, very powerful. Like very that powerful. Just, just opens the door to generating a lot more business all around. You get you know you don't have to be the big boys to play with the big boy tools. Yeah, you can you can bring all the same features and capabilities and scale uh, without having to invest billions in R and D and infrastructure. Right. So where does it go from here? What's what's your uh, roadmap if you can share it? Yeah. So actually, at um, at Ignite, we are going to be uh, releasing event hubs as a destination in addition to webhooks, hmm. so that if you don't want to listen on webhooks, you can actually have a big scalable log buffer stream buffer to receive your events uh, so that is coming we have other publishers coming on board like uh, azure subscriber uh, so that you get a first class experience where you can spin up automation workflows and and uh, 
do automation scenarios with uh, events triggered by grid. And for, really for the rest of the year, we're going to be spinning up more and more publishers among the Azure services uh, across, all, across the whole portfolio. And we're going to be at Ignite. In fact, this show comes out the week before Ignite. Yeah. Is there going to be talks on Event Grid at Ignite? Oh, yeah. I'm actually giving a talk on Wednesday morning. Awesome. Nice. So if you're listening to this, you're going to be in Orlando and go into the craziness that is Ignite. 20,000 of your closest friends. <laughs> Come see Dan. Well, we'll definitely have to hook up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, what about a pricing model? Have you even committed to that yet? Because you're still in preview. You know, we have, and it's funny you say that, uh, I actually wanted to go out without a pricing model just to see what people do and then work our way back. But we right. actually, uh, we actually created a pricing model that fits uh, fairly well with what people call serverless, although I'm not sure I, I buy that serverless has to be pay per execution, but this is right. a pay per execution model. Uh, we charge for operations, uh, and it's priced at uh, 60 cents per million. And you get a hundred thousand for free, and during preview, uh, it's half price. So nice. a message coming in is an operation, and every delivery attempt we make is an operation. So if you don't respond and we have to retry, that's another operation. So let's just do the math: fifty grand a month, sixty cents per million. Oh my God, that was a lot of turnoffs. <laughs> <laughs> you got to come up with more bad jokes. You actually want to come up with fifty thousand words. <laughs> We're going to be able to save you some money. <laughs> All right, Dan. Thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a